0: Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach, a coach. The Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield IMG College, brought to you by Wilson Sporting Goods. And now, here's your host, Dave Odom.
1: Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Today's guest is the highly respected, and highly successful head coach of the Liberty Flames, Richie McKay. Richie, you've been a good friend for a long time. Welcome to the program.
0: Coach, thank you very much. It's uh, it's my privilege to to be on, and uh, especially with uh, someone that that has legendary status like yourself.
1: Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. (laughs) All right, let's get started here. Richie, uh, you were born – I was surprised when I started looking at your – your bio uh, you were born in Indianapolis April 22nd 1965 uh, that's a basketball area if there's any in the country. Uh, did growing up in Indiana how long were you there did that have an influence on your uh, desire to be part of a basketball world?
0: Yeah no doubt it did when uh, when when we first uh, came out of the crib we were introduced to the game and uh, I have two brothers one older one younger. Uh, and my dad was uh, a very accomplished player at uh, Shortridge High School. and uh, they had a, a longstanding rivalry with uh, Christmas Attucks, where the Big O Oscar Robinson played. So uh, back in the day, my dad would he would tell us these stories, these legendary stories about high school basketball in the state of Indiana. And uh, because of my love for him, I developed a love for basketball and, uh, and I, I'd loved being a part of the Hoosier State Hoosier hysteria anyone that's from that area knows how important the game is and uh, and and I just developed this this passion for it that uh, that continued throughout my career now I see where
1: you uh, you went to Mesa uh, Junior college uh, in Arizona now were you recruited to go there is that a place you picked to walk on how, how did that happen
0: Yeah so we moved from uh, Indianapolis uh, when I was I want to say uh, seventh grade and uh my brother had some respiratory breathing problems and uh i i can honestly say i I don't miss shoveling those driveways coach (laughs) and uh, we we moved to the uh the warmth and the comfy confines of mace arizona and i played for a really good high school coach his name was bud Doolin, uh and and he was terrific he was someone that really invested in me and uh, when we were out there, uh, I, I wanted so badly to to go to a Division One school, uh, and and my dad, who I, I mentioned earlier, he was my idol. He, he played at the University of New Mexico and uh, was a was a really good player there. He played for Bob King and had some uh, uh, some terrific experiences there. And uh, I can remember growing up, Coach, I, I used to to sleep with his his scrapbook next to my bed and uh, those. High school games at Shortridge and the college games at UNM. Uh, I, I just wanted to be like my dad, so uh, I, I was pursuant of a Division one scholarship and had zero offers out of high school. And uh, Tom Bennett, who's uh, actually Randy Bennett, the coach at St. Mary's, that's his dad. I played for uh, Coach Bennett and uh, for a year at Mesa Community College, and uh, it was it was really a last minute decision. I had a NAIA scholarship opportunity. Uh, at the College of Idaho, and I turned it down in hopes that I could play Division One and uh, play for Coach Bennett for a year, and uh, kind of had a different uh, vantage point, uh, having grown in my faith a little bit, and ended up going to a uh, faith-based school at Seattle Pacific from uh, from Mesa Community.
1: Um, let's. I was going to talk about this a little later in the uh, session here, but let's let's talk about that right now. Um, you mentioned faith-based. Um, explain to everybody what, what you mean when you say faith-based. You're talking about faith, uh, religious lives. You're talking about faith in uh, your teammates. Um, you know, I, I know what you're talking about, but I think it'd be good for you to kind of get into that a little bit because as I look at your resume, a lot of the decisions that you made, I would call faith-based.
0: Yeah, Coach. I appreciate you asking. And, and again, this is this is what what has been important to my life. I'm not uh, prescribing it for everyone. It's just how the way uh, I was brought up, and uh, I came to faith, uh, making a decision uh, in in uh, accepting the Lord Jesus Christ in my life uh, when I was 18 years old, and it was right after high school. And uh, it uh, I, I describe it like this: uh, I, I, I opened the door. To a mansion, and although uh, I had so many more rooms uh, to explore, so many more areas to grow in, at least I was inside the mansion. And uh, So when I was in junior college, uh, and I loved playing for Coach Bennett, um, I, I just got kind of put on my heart this uh, this desire to grow more, and I felt like I could do it at a faith-based school, one that had a real intentionality about uh, a Christian school education uh, and, and kind of learning and developing. Uh, God's word and in, in my life, and as well as my experiences um, from a Christian perspective. So I chose Seattle Pacific University, a uh, really neat Division II school in the Northwest, and uh, played for a gentleman by the name of Claude Terry. So you can tell, kind of uh, the theme in my life was uh, God's really put men in my life that uh, a lot of them were coaches who really had a strong influence on the person that uh, I was to become and. Coach Terry was a fabulous player at Stanford University, went on to play for the Nuggets and uh and coach, he really made an impact on my life. He I used to spend hours upon hours in his office and I, I used to kinda do it under the guise of I was his point guard and hey, I wanted to learn more about the game and et cetera, et cetera. But I just loved being around him. I, I loved the 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 grace that he allowed me to experience and he was actually the first man that I had Ever had a relationship with that? Uh, that actually read the Bible that was on his desk. So he he had a lot to do with my uh, my early growth years, and uh, that's why I chose Seattle Pacific, and it's honestly why I've made some of the decisions that I've made throughout my career.
1: Okay, so you went to Seattle Pacific and you played for Claude Terry, um, but you also had success in, on the basketball court. Uh, led the team in scoring, uh, fourteen points a game assists 139 steals and that that kind of stuck out to me um I know your teams and you know some of the background uh the University of Virginia Tony Bennett we're going to get to that a little bit later in in uh, uh the program but a lot of your success came on the defensive side of the court I, I noticed uh, you had 10 steals in one game against Pacific uh, Lutheran which is still a single game record there at uh, Pacific and um You know, so uh, I I don't know if that kind of gave you the uh, impetus to go on and be a great defensive coach or whatever, but uh, you you were a a successful basketball player on the court in addition to being a faith-based player off the court.
0: Yeah, well, coach, I appreciate that. If if we could, could I just uh, carry that segment of the interview with sure. me and uh, play it for our current players? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> any of them would call me accomplished, but now again, I love the game and the things that basketball does for for you as a as a player or as a coach. They're immense, and there there there's there's a plethora of, of disciplines that I attain by uh, being in the gym. the the, the commitment that one has to make to to learn his craft and uh, and also to experience the the ups and downs of it like like we we are all going to go through adversity and uh, and and I think the way we steer it uh, I, I heard a great quote uh, a, a, a a defeat isn't your enemy it's your teacher and, and I just think if we embrace that and uh, younger Richie McKay had a hard time it took longer to embrace it. Uh, but the older I've got, the more mature that I've got, uh, both mentally and emotionally. It's really helped me to to take some of the things that I've learned from the game, good and bad, and, uh, and try and apply it to my life so that others might be able to benefit from maybe the way I handled it.
1: Well, uh, one thing we won't share with your team is that you had a brief uh, run at the Seattle Supersonics, and we... Uh, we'll just move on past that, but it's—I uh, know it was kind of fun to at least be there with some of the great players. But who was on that team? That just kind of rolled out past me.
0: Uh, you know, my senior year of college, I had an internship for the Sonics and uh, got to know one of the scouts who has passed away since his name was Gary Wartman, uh, But Bernie Bickerstaff was the coach, and they had a—they had a great team: Gary Payton, Nate McMillan, Detlef Shrimp, Sean Kemp, Ricky Pierce. They—they, they, I mean, they were one of the best teams in the West, and uh, my, my job was to, uh, I was one of the community relations support people and uh, and over the course of two or three months, I was, uh, I was in pretty strong with the Sonics in terms of, uh, getting to know some of the coaches and, uh, and being able to, to maybe have a, an insider's perspective. I think I went to oh, about 30 home games that year at key arena. So it was, it, it only, uh, illuminated my love for the game. Uh, the Sonics are still my favorite team. They're coming back one day, coach. They're coming back. One day. I believe you. <laughs> uh, but that was uh, that was a fabulous experience and uh, really, really blessed to have that opportunity. Coach Terry uh,
1: advised you to become a coach. Is that where you really or did you explore that with him? you talk with him about it? I want I, coach, I'm not sure. I'd like to maybe coach what What was his reaction to that and his advice beyond that?
0: Yeah, he, he did actually. I wanted to keep playing. Obviously I'd love the game. And, uh, uh, he said, I, I'd be a natural at, uh, coaching and I, I didn't really see that. Um, he saw things in me that I didn't see in myself and, uh, I'll forever be indebted for the the impact that he had on my life. But, uh, so he, he told me that he was going to call Andy Russo, who was in the coach at the university of Washington. And, uh, he said, uh, I talked to Coach Russo, this is like two or three days later, and he said, come by the office, and uh, he'd like to talk to you. Well, Coach, I don't even remember applying for the job. I just ended up I ended up getting it. And uh, there I was, a graduate assistant uh, for a back then Pac-10 school, and we had a player named Eldridge Kasner uh, who ended up in the NBA that I became really close with. But uh, after one year there, one of the assistants uh, on that staff um, told me about a job Um, in charlotte north carolina and i had no desire to go to the east coast uh, but a gentleman by the name of dale Lair was starting a division uh, division two program from scratch and he needed an assistant and uh, coach jeff price who's now at lynn university recommended me there he and joe cravens and uh there there was it was the start of a i was a full-time assistant at 23 years old in uh in a city i'd never been in and uh and we were we were a first year program at a school or a university that was an all women's school. And the first or the second year of our program was the, the, uh, the, the, the second year that they, uh, allowed uh, men on campus. So the recruiting was easy there, coach.
1: It was, I bet. It was an eight
0: to one ratio <laughs> female to male. So we, we did a, we did a decent job in terms of being able to, uh, to sell our guys and the fact that, you know, they, they'd, uh, have a chance to get a date if uh, if they wanted to.
1: Well, uh, you were there really a short period of time and and, uh, returned back to Seattle Pacific as uh, some would say the lead assistant under uh, the coach at that time, Ken Bone. Um, I know he gave you a multiple of uh, responsibilities, and that had to be a really big period of growth for you.
0: Yeah, no doubt. As as you well know, when you're at, uh, the division two level, especially you wear a lot of different hats and coach bone was terrific for me. He, uh, uh, really competitive. Uh, he really trusted me with, uh, different responsibilities. And again, at 23, 24 years old to, to have someone believe in you like that really, it really meant a lot. Uh, it allowed me to make some mistakes that, uh, that were inevitable in all of our careers. And, uh, and again, the, the grace in which he uh, he led with uh, allowed me to get more confident and uh, more responsible at a relatively rapid pace.
1: Well, you're uh, obviously growing in in uh, in basketball, and you're learning as you go. And you've been to a number of places already, as we've talked about. And you know, the, the next four years of your life, uh, from a professional standpoint, uh, 1991 through uh, 1995, you spent two years at. At Bradley, and then you're right back at, at Washington University of Washington uh, on the uh, West Coast. Now I got to ask you, uh, because a lot of a lot of young coaches right now would be saying, "Well, I'd do that just to get a job." But I mean, really, that that had to be hard on you, hard on uh, a lifestyle. I mean, you you just you you'd you'd hop from one place to the other, and I know you've had to answer that uh, a number of times in your uh, career as to where you are and it certainly has worked out for you is that something you'd recommend to young coaches to do or do they just have to go where the opportunities are
0: yeah great question coach i mentioned or alluded to uh emotional maturity uh earlier in uh i was recently married when uh when we went to bradley uh my wife and i julie were in our first or second year of marriage and uh and i worked for a phenomenal coach jim mulinary he's now an assistant at the uh, U- University of Oklahoma and uh, he was a he was a terrific coach and a and a great man and uh and and we worked some long hard hours there and and we just Julie was from the west coast it was her first time uh in the midwest and uh when the opportunity at Washington came up uh, actually coach Moe said I'd like you to give me a 3 year commitment unless you get a chance to go back home and uh and I wanted to honor that and uh, and I did I had some other opportunities um, and when, when Bob Bender, uh, offered me the position at the University of Washington in Seattle, that's where Julie and I met, that's where she was from. Uh, I really wanted to be there because it was close to home for her. And, and, uh, and now there's some other moves that I made subsequently that were really a result of, uh, of this insatiable desire to, to be affirmed, to, to perform, to, I, I lived a A lot of my my 20s and early 30s in this cycle or on this treadmill of hey if I do this I'm going to be more accepted I'm going to I'm going to prove that I'm a good coach or that I could make it or I'm deserving of this opportunity and any of us that have lived on that that treadmill you finally come to this place in your life where uh, there's not anything that'll ever be enough and uh, it, it's where God really started to to begin the process of maturing me and uh and and putting people in my life uh, especially some really godly men that would that would speak into that that pursuit that I had and it was okay to pursue but you could you, you you can't have anything there's not anything you can find in this world that will ultimately fulfill you 24/7 and outside for me outside of my relationship with Jesus Christ so that's that's how would uh, I, I recommend it to other coaches I, I would tell them boy the, the biggest thing that I've learned in this is it's it's about the people coach and uh, and men like you that had a had a heart for uh, the young person that they they were entrusted with the, oh that's that's what makes all the difference in the world it's those relationships that uh, you invest in uh, that you learn from Uh, Those are the things that last. And uh, I probably didn't, I didn't get that uh, as early as I probably would have wanted to in my career. But because I didn't get it, I think I'm better now in terms of being able to invest authentically in a young person's life. Because uh, I'm real and transparent with them. and, uh, And I needed that, I needed to go through some of the things that I went through in order to get to that place.
1: The next few years... Um, you went through uh, four changes, all as head coach. You got Portland State, where you were okay record-wise, uh, but I know you learned a lot. Uh, you're at Colorado State from uh, 98, uh, 1998 to 2000. Uh, had a really good record there, 37-23. Um, you get another opportunity to get back to the uh, West Coast at, uh, at Oregon State, where you served as the head coach there. Uh, for a couple of years, and then uh, a big opportunity came, and, and you, you, uh, you took the head uh, coaching job at New Mexico, uh, University of New Mexico and down in Albuquerque, and you were there for, for you. It was a long time. I mean, you were there for five years, and uh, you had a really good record, 82-69, and 69, and you made the NCAA tournament, which is, you know, that's a basketball hotbed. Everybody knows playing in the pit is a big thing. Um, even though you know you lost in the first round that term it was a really good uh, opportunity for you. Um, but you know I, this is where I want to get get to where you are right now. Um, for some reason, and I want you to tell us why you did it. Uh, you're at the University of New Mexico, a big school in a in a in a big conference, and uh, you had you had an opportunity to go to Liberty, this small up and coming school. On the East Coast in Lynchburg, Virginia, nobody on the West Coast knows much about it. You take the job and you serve as the head coach uh, for a couple of years. Uh, your team goes 39 and 28, and you know I've taken all your time here, but I want you to talk to me about that transition from those schools, the Portland States, the Oregon uh, State, uh, uh, the uh, Colorado State, New Mexico, into to uh, to Liberty.
0: Yeah, I'd be glad to, Coach. I uh, so Portland State was one of the, the the most enjoyable jobs I ever had. I worked for a gentleman by the name of Jim Sturt. I got the job. I was the youngest head coach in Division One basketball at the time. I got the job because you'll remember a guy named Freeman Williams.
1: Absolutely. He, uh,
0: he was he was a first team All American in 1981 with Bird and Magic. Well, in the 82-83 season, Portland State went on a a uh, they went on probation and they. They, their program became defunct, so we we turned we turned a program that had no uniforms, no basketballs, nothing, and uh, they made the announcement that they're going to be in Division One and they're going to restart their basketball program, and we were doing it from scratch. And they couldn't go to the NCAA tournament for what was then ten years. There was a probationary period for ten years, so we were recruiting guys, telling them you can't play in uh, the NCAA tournament, but. Uh, you can play Division One, and honestly, there was zero pressure. There was, it, we got to do things that no one else gets a chance to do because no one expected us to win a game, Coach. So when we the second year, uh, I think we we had like a we were in a tie for first place the last week of the season, dropped two in Montana, uh, but we had relatively unprecedented success there in in some really difficult circumstances and. Uh, and then Colorado State called, and uh, I just thought, man, it'd be great to be able to have access to the NCAA tournament. And uh, we inherited a really healthy culture from Stu Morrill, and uh, and we were at Colorado State for two years, and I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, and uh, and and my my dad got diagnosed with cancer, and uh, so I was in a really tough place emotionally. And again, this is this is my idol, my role model, and. Uh one of the things that really attracted me about Oregon State was a chance to be on the west coast again and be able to recruit the Los Angeles area where my dad was living. Uh well, we uh so we moved to Oregon State. Mitch Barnhart was my athletic director who as you will know is fabulous. Um and and it was it was a tough job and I didn't I'm going to be real candid with you I didn't do a very good job when I was there. Uh I was wounded all over the place. I was leaking and uh and and really uh, felt like i i made a maybe a decision that was was uh based on emotion and not well thought out uh well my dad passed away in 2000 and uh when we were at oregon state uh in new mexico called and this was my this was my dream job my that was my dad's alma mater uh, uh my wife and i uh, spent part of our honeymoon in uh, in albuquerque so or Uh, part of our one year anniversary in Albuquerque. So uh, I really wanted to be there. And after taking that job and being there for five years, really four and a half, uh, there was a change in athletic directors. And uh, I had the privilege of being able to to coach some great young men, Dan Granger included. Uh, But they, they decided that my term was over there. So uh, I, I went to Liberty coach because it was either that or get into TV broadcasting. And, uh, I've heard from many that I've got a face for radio, not TV. Oh. So I, uh, I took the Liberty job in Lynchburg, uh, not thinking that I would ever uh, go to the East Coast, and I absolutely loved it. I, I just thought, man, this is a this is an unbelievable place, and uh, we we had decent success, and uh, we were able to recruit a young man by the name of Seth Curry, Steph's brother, and uh, I love that family, and uh, I, I thought we were on the right track at Liberty after winning. Uh, 23 games in our second year. Uh, well, then Tony Bennett called, and uh, uh, I'm sure we'll get into some of the people that uh, I've mentioned influenced my life. Well, no, none more than Dick Bennett. Uh, in my time at Portland State, we had a year in between starting the program and playing our first game. Uh, I called Coach Bennett to uh, to go out there and uh, see if I could visit with him, and uh, and and I went to his practices, I went to his clinics. Uh, he was someone that uh, I really uh, had a strong affinity for, and he took me in like I was one of his own and was always there for me. I resourced him over and over again, and uh, and I actually tried to hire his son, Tony, when I was a coach at Colorado State. He had just finished playing in the NBA and uh, for the Charlotte Hornets and, uh, and in Australia. I offered him a job. There was a restricted earnings position that you, that we had back then. I think it was 16000 a year and uh, he was coming off of uh, hundreds of thousands. and I'm sure it wasn't a uh, money reason why he didn't go, but, uh, I didn't get him, but, uh, but we became friends. And, uh, and so when he called at the university of Virginia, I felt really led to go and serve the family that I had such a, a strong appreciation for.
1: Okay. You know, let's, let's, um, let's move forward here. Cause I, I got some other things I want to ask you about basketball wise, but, um, you know I've I, I can't go any further what I asking you um, you know you you leave Liberty as a head coach you go to v- University of Virginia as an assistant associate ahead or whatever the, your title was at the time you had great success over there with with Tony as the head coach and you uh, on his staff you recruited really good players there uh, UVA is making a name for itself basketball wise they've always had a, a rich uh, tradition there but it, it, Tony had it reignited uh, uh, the, the, the fever uh, for basketball. And, and, and all of a sudden, uh, uh, the Liberty job comes open again. Uh, you've had several uh, coaching awards and everything. But, and, but Jeff Barber is the athletics director at Liberty at that time. He makes the call to you. Um, you make the call to him. There's a lot of conversation going on. There had to be some trepidation. Uh, here's a guy that's gone away, he left us several years ago, and now he wants to come back. Uh, how did you overcome that if there was a problem?
0: Yeah, uh, Coach, you, you nailed it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for Jeff Barber and uh, the call that he made to initiate it, and uh, and I, I wanted to go back to a faith-based school. I never thought after leaving I'd have a chance to come back to Liberty, but was honored to do so. And when Tony hired me, he said, "I just uh, I want you to uh, to to come and help me try and build something special." And by the time I left, six years into it, um, he had the program number two in the nation for uh, for I don't know how many weeks. We were right behind Kentucky, who was undefeated, and uh, and went to a Sweet 16 and uh, and a round of 32, and uh, and I I felt like uh, I not only Uh, Did did I have a a great opportunity to do life with some absolutely incredible people, but also got an equipping, uh, jokingly say a master's degree in the pack line defense um, that I really wanted to test given kind of what I had thought uh, about before on the offensive end. I thought the the two systems could merge, especially if you had a place that uh, had a, a, a niche to it and God opened up the door at Liberty and uh, I ran to it. I, I just thought, uh, what a unbelievable opportunity that this would be. And, uh, and when, when, when Jeff and Dr. Falwell said, uh, you're the, you're the nominee, I, uh, coach, I felt really, it was one of the best days of my life. Um,
1: uh- and of course, you're still there. and um, you know I, I know in building a program it's one thing, sustaining it, moving it forward uh, is altogether another. Let, let's, let's hit some things really quickly here as we wind down this issue of uh, NABC Guardians of the game. Um, there's a big word today, culture. Um, you know there's such a thing as you know if I'm gonna build a, a building block, I'm gonna do it with the proper culture. I think there's there's together. It may be a little bit different. Um, you know, you build it with culture, and then there's a championship culture that really kind of takes you beyond just building a program. Uh, how do you uh, look at this word culture, and is it important?
0: Oh, no doubt. Well, one of the things that uh, Coach Dick Bennett said, uh, his son Tony, and uh, in the at the beginning of at Virginia, he said. Uh, son, it's important to you that you get guys that you can lose with first and uh, and I never forgot that simply because I thought that in itself was really a great foundation for and, and an emphasis on the type of program that you aspire to have if you if you really want to just win and if you have a an identity based um, pursuit that's that's scoreboard related, then I think there's only there's only so much you can accomplish but if you have a people-based culture uh, and and there's a there's a real commitment to connectivity and sacrifice uh, then I think not only can you build a successful program but that program in itself can add value to the the community that you live in to the campus where you you participate or do life and uh, I, I'll I'll be indebted for the lessons that I've learned but I think it's coach I think it's and you did this in uh, in a few of your stops I, I think that pursuit of being a part of something bigger than yourself I think it's the hard difficult way but it leads to life uh, I, I think when you when you're in it just to win just to advance uh and it's a trap that we can easily fall into I I just think it it uh it doesn't add as much value as it could for us individually and collectively. A
1: um, couple of things here Just I've got to ask you. Um, one, uh, there have been a lot of changes in the game, uh, both on and off the court. Uh, if I were to give you a, a blank cam- canvas and, and a pen or pencil, uh, what, what are some things that you have seen change that, uh, maybe you'd even like to institute yourself. I mean, changes in the game, you've been in the game 30-plus years. Uh, you you had to have experienced a lot of change.
0: Yeah, I think change is inevitable. and I, I think we as coaches, especially us uh, on the older side and the younger side, I think our inability to adapt to the change thwarts our student-athletes' experience. I, I think the way we communicate with them, uh, is something that we, that coach honestly that I think we got to be really intentional about pursuing. So uh, just just the way technology has advanced the game, uh, I, I think I think it's it's a great positive if we use it right. I, I think individuals like like Steph Curry's changed basketball, coach. You, when when you and I were were doing it, uh, and it, you were. I think you were at Wake when they first adopted the three-point line. You remember how short that thing was? It was
1: <laughs> seventeen it was, feet, I think.
0: It was a mid-range pull-up, coach, and uh, and now you know you see guys pulling up from the hash mark I, uh, again. But uh, and and then the the different uh, apparatuses we have, the the way recruiting is, like I think the I think those changes are all positive for the game as long as we use them right and. As long as as we don't ever lose sight of trying to heighten the uh, the experience for the students that participated and uh, the the growth of the younger generation, like I I just think our ability to pour into them, model for them, uh, maybe maybe speak into their lives about some different off ramps that we took that you should just stay in your lane and and take the next exit, uh, equipping them that way. I, I just think. Uh, that makes that makes the game in its longevity that much more important.
1: Last thing, Richie, um, you know, as we close this uh, edition, um, I always try to ask the question: How important is it for established coaches like yourself to perhaps reach down to aspiring young coaches, give them some advice, uh, open your door to your office, to your gym, to your practices? um how how can you as a veteran coach uh in your own way make this game better than it is when you arrived at it as a graduate assistant
0: yeah coach i that one's easy it's uh it's emulating men like yourself it's just uh that that intentionality to be a a legacy builder and uh and being able like like you've done for many like dick bennett did for so many and, in given, giving myself away. So, uh, I, I think it's, it's invaluable to the younger generation because, uh, whether, and I'm not sure I'm in this position, but, uh, I'm, I'm honored that you called me established. I, I think for us, we, we get to do this. We don't have to do it. And for, for us to deposit into someone else, the way we've been deposited into, or even furthering that, uh, again, I just think it makes the the whole world a better place, uh, especially if if we're if we're giving them an equipping uh, that they can take in in their own personality, in their own areas of gifting, and they can use it to advance uh, advance the players that they are entrusted to lead.
1: Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, and especially Coach Richie McKay for taking a good portion of his day out to be with. Uh, Not only myself, but others who care a lot about the game of basketball. So, Richie, thanks um, uh, for taking uh, your time to be with us. And good luck to you and your team for the rest of this season. Boy, you're doing great right now. Just keep on keeping on. And for those that want to learn more about uh, the NABC, they need only visit nabc.com.